Hello everyone, this is a data-driven Formula One and as usual, Patrick Hansen, Adam Pagrebna here. Talking about a uh, really cool topic today, right, Patrick? It's uh, right, Luigi uh, Cinetti. <laughs> today we are speaking about uh, Luigi Cinetti and the North American uh, racing team, as it's quite small, a little bit uh, mysterious uh, team, which surprisingly uh, entered up in uh, Formula One in uh, 64 and uh, even uh, uh, supported Ferrari becoming the uh, world uh, champion. So uh, I thought a, a good topic for a special episode. Yeah, um, I mean, uh, when I did some research uh, kind of in preparation for today's uh, episode, I discovered that uh, Luigi Cinetti, I mean, obviously, uh, I know uh, Luigi Cinetti as a driver mostly, but, and also I know uh, the uh, Cinetti McLaren, the McLaren Cinetti car, which we will show you at the end. It's really like a weird car. Looks uh, like it's from space. I think yep. Darth Vader could have, <laughs> could have uh, ridden that car. It's quite like yeah. <laughs> dark force kind of. But, but this was quite typical at, at the end of the 1960s to have Yeah, that's, that's right. In the 70s, we will see some really weird, weird uh, engineering thinking. But um, what I wanted to say is that in, in many, uh, res uh, at least in many English speaking resources, I don't know about Italian ones, Luigi Cinetti is normally referred to as uh, the American distributor of Formula One cars. <laughs> so yeah, I guess he's, he's mostly known for sort of being the sort of Ferrari rep uh, in the States. Um, but um, we will today, uh, today we will look at this remarkable character and also the North American racing team. And um, I think um, last time when we discussed uh, the 1964, uh, season, uh, we kind of surprised many people with uh, blue and white Ferraris, which were effectively the North American racing team. So today we will see a little bit of this unusual non-red <laughs> Ferraris. Um, so, right. yeah. And Ferraris were like, I, I, I remember we showed, I don't remember which year it was, but I remember Patrick showed us uh, some green Ferraris as well. Yeah, this was... Uh, the, well, it was the Wonderwall in the beginning of the 50s where uh, he bought uh, some Ferraris uh, to learn from and uh, even to, to use as a, base, uh, as a base for his own, uh, own cars. Yes, so, and, and, the, and the Ferrari must have been thrilled <laughs> yes, <laughs> to and, see uh, his car in green. <laughs> yeah, and... Uh, um, we not showed it in uh, 62, uh, there was the idea that Sterling Mass uh, would uh, drive for Ferrari, not directly for Ferrari, but for officially for the Rob Walker team, but using a manufacturing car, which never happened to Sterling's uh, accident. The car has been, I think, used maybe only once in non-official um, races in uh, red with a red, uh, with, sorry, with a green uh, stripe uh, driven by Ines uh, Ireland. On the yeah, so it's like uh, Italian, but a little bit British. The stripe, the green British stripe signified uh, the British contribution to this <laughs> engineering thought <laughs> or com competitive thought anyway. So, uh, but anyway, today we're talking about Luigi Cinetti. Exactly. Right. So we're speaking about the, the NAT team, which I can show. Yeah, wow. Racing team. Wow. And we'll come to this later because they're using a very similar logo to uh, Ferrari. So uh, this was the logo they used inside the racing, mostly endurance racing and not uh, exclusively on Ferrari cars. So sometimes, very few times, I think they use also uh, Chevrolets. Wow. Uh, Patrick, as you can see, came prepared for today's yes. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> that's, that's impressive. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and this is Luigi Cinetti. Yeah, I have to say, there are not many photos of this guy. Right. And this is probably the best photo I could find uh, from various... Uh, sources uh, quite quite good photo of him and this he is here as a 
very young man in 1934. Uh, yeah, so that's Luigi Cinetti. And, uh, you know, most of the pictures that you can find of him are from newspapers. So they're mm -hmm. quite grainy and uh, you barely can see his face. But this one, I think, is uh, picturing quite, uh, him quite well. Yeah, I think uh, he was not a very outgoing uh, character. So practically, I didn't find uh, any quotes directly uh, from him. And uh, uh, we come to this maybe when we talk about the McLaren, which was designed by his uh, son, because there are some good uh, interviews, which you also can find on the internet. And uh, I think we will put a link um, uh, here in uh, YouTube so that you can also read uh, these interviews, which include some more photos uh, from the workshop, the different cars and so on. Which is quite, uh, this is quite a weird uh, character trait for someone who is, uh, you know, making a career in the States. I think it's almost and, a must and that you practically have to be. a salesman. <laughs> and a salesman, yeah. So, um, but maybe, I mean, maybe it's not a, not a bad uh, trait for a businessman, but uh, still, you know, anyway. No, I am um, correct. And let's say, uh, I mean, it doesn't, uh, to be a, become a successful uh, sales manager, you don't have to be uh, outgoing. It, you can be also uh, like him, a more introverted, but he was very good with um, networking. And what was especial, what make him, uh, made him especially successful selling uh, these uh, expensive uh, cars, uh, in the U.S. is uh, he was uh, uh, never giving away uh, the names. Uh, this because we are speaking here about uh, business leaders, uh, about uh, Hollywood uh, actors. So he he was uh, re really secretly whom had been his uh, clients, and this was a part of his uh, success. Mm -hmm. So uh, here, starting with the. Uh, profile. Mm -hmm. As uh, you can imagine from his name, uh, he was uh, born in Italy, but immigrated uh, first to France and uh, after the Second World War from there to the US. Yeah, and so uh, we have to say that that was because of uh, Mussolini's regime. So he was yeah. really not, um, you know, not a fan, let's just say. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, along with quite a few um, Italians, uh, he immigrated during that time. And uh, most of us know him, of course, as the winner of Le Mans, right? He won yeah. three Le Mans, yeah, three Le Mans races. And uh, so you can, you, as you can imagine, he was a very good driver. And uh, he was a friend of uh, Enzo Ferrari, right? So. Uh, Exactly, and a very good friend, and we come also back to this. So he was really, um, his focus had been endurance races. He uh, participated in a lot of the 24 hours of Le Mans. He won three times. He won two times uh, the 24 hours at Spa-Francorchamps, also very uh, famous um, here in uh, Europe. And also, I mean, we will see his team really was this focus on these endurance races and practically uh, just accidentally ended up in Formula One. Yes, indeed. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I guess he was also, we will come to that, but he was, uh, it's rumored, right, that he was the, one of the people who convinced Enzo Ferrari to yeah. not only do racing, but also do the luxury, <laughs> luxury market car, um, which is, you know, in a sense, uh, we can thank him for having, you know, high performance uh, Ferraris. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. As you, as you said, uh, well, let's come to this on the slide. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You wanted to speak us. Uh, important, uh, so he was really uh, one of the closest uh, friends of Enzo Ferrari. And uh, also he lived uh, practically uh, in parallel. So he had been born like... I uh, think uh, only two years uh, after, uh, or no, a little bit more, but uh, he was practically uh, the same generation, born uh, July 1901 in uh, Gerago con uh, in Lombardy, meaning in the area around uh, Milan, so also mm -hmm. the same area as uh, Enzo. 
and uh, only died uh, some years uh, after him in August 94. Originally Italian, but later he uh, received the US American citizenship. Mm -hmm. So as a driver, he was active for Alfa Romeo and later uh, he had his own uh, North American racing team. So that's what, I, what I'm talking about. This is the type of pictures you get. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Only, I guess, from, uh, you know, Le Mans uh, newspapers. <laughs> and uh, another relevant thing which uh, uh, he had in common with Enzo Ferrari, he practically uh, has been grown up in a workshop. His uh, father was a gunsmith and uh, young Luigi uh, have been uh, stayed more most of his uh, time in the beginning in this workshop and learned uh, I think uh, here also uh, the work and also uh, the work uh, philosophy that uh, work is hard that and uh, that you really have to earn your way up so some things I think with this he had a similar uh, philosophy than Enzo uh, together that they've grown up in the same geographical region which uh, which support him uh, that uh, to have build up a good relation uh, with him and with this he was practically one of the few yeah and um, so he got his uh, job in alfa romeo when he was again a very very young man in at the yeah. end of, age of 16 where he met uh, enzo ferrari <laughs> exactly so he was also working for alfa romeo originally Exactly. So here they met a first time and practically stayed in contact for all life. Yes. So it was, uh, in a sense, a childhood friend. <laughs> yeah, practically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like I said before, he, uh, you know, when uh, uh, Benito Mussolini kind of took power in Italy, Luigi uh, Cinati uh, immigrated to the States. And uh, well, so for sorry, first to France, to Paris, and then to the States. And um, yeah, so effectively, he never returned. Yep. Uh, yeah, so he stayed in, in America. Yep, like uh, it was. Yeah, which probably was a good choice. Yeah, and it was like. The and subsequent it was quite events, similar. yeah. It was quite uh, uh, similar to. Um, a lot of uh, Italians uh, who immigrated uh, um, to the US and uh, uh, at that time it wasn't that easy for Italians getting the US citizenship. Uh, you needed to have uh, a work uh, where you can uh, finance uh, your, uh, your life in the US, same as uh, today, uh, but also you needed a sponsor and uh, due to his uh, talent as an engineer, uh, he found uh, this uh, sponsor by um, Sora Akus uh, Duntov, who was one of the leading, uh, leading engineers uh, creating the Chevrolet uh, Corvette. So mm -hmm. this was one, let's say, of his uh, sponsors and uh, also a very interesting uh, figure in car manufacturing. Yeah, and then he was, uh, um, uh, yeah, so then he was uh, spending quite a lot of time in New York, right? Uh, exactly, that's uh, where he had his uh, famous uh, workshop. Unfortunately, we don't have uh, a photo of it as it's not uh, inside the public uh, domain. Mm -hmm. But I think in one of the links, which we will include here, you can see this little uh, workshop he had in New York and uh, with like five or six mechanics. So we're not speaking about a big team, but a surprisingly small and often underfinanced uh, team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, already, uh, you know, two years after the Second World War in uh, 47, he got his citizenship, American exactly. citizenship. Which really worked uh, very fast, as you uh, can imagine, because he was uh, not only talented as an engineer, but he was, say, a sports celebrity, winning three times uh, or two times. You no, know, it was 
Yeah, yeah. I think he already won three times at three that times. time. So, mm -hmm. and of course, being a celebrity helps getting the citizenship. Not different than uh, today. Yeah, it's a it's a fast track. It's a fast track. <laughs> fast track <yes>. green card. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, right. So uh, we already uh, discussed um, the immigration. Uh, he, yeah, uh, he was uh, quite successful in uh, Le Mans. He won uh, 49 uh, with uh, the Ferrari 166 uh, mm, which means uh, millimilia. The Bacchetta. Bacchetta in Italian is a kind of uh, open car, normally a small cabriolet, mm -hmm. which you can see on the foot. There's one rumor, and it's, I think it's uh, highly likely that he visited uh, Enzo in 1946 in his, in his uh, office around uh, Christmas time. Uh, and uh, as he was already a good um, a salesperson with a good uh, sales mindset, uh, they talked together and uh, he seems he convinced uh, Enzo that uh, he should not only uh, have his focus on uh, motorsports, but uh, also in, um, in manufacturing a small series of uh, sports cars. As uh, he, um, Luigi had a number of uh, potential uh, customers in the US uh, growing market and he would be able to uh, buy like 20 to 25 year cars a year and this would be a good um, business, especially to finance uh, motorsports. Yeah, so um, of course we don't know whether that's true, but yeah, it's yeah. highly probable. <laughs> highly probable. Mm -hmm. Exactly, and it's highly probably um, because he had the A, the mindset, and B, he was in the circle of trust uh, from Enzo, so he was uh, maybe one of the few uh, people who really could influence uh, him. Yeah. Okay. As mentioned, uh, mm -hmm. he had a lot of uh, high-profile customers. One of uh, him has been uh, Briggs Cunningham, a famous gentleman driver who bought uh, Ferraris and also uh, changed them a little bit to make them more competitive for the races where he participated, like endurance races, like uh, the famous Mexican Panamericana, for example. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so there was uh, also quite a lot of promotion uh, of mm -hmm. the Ferrari cars done uh, by uh, Luigi Cinetti in the US. And, uh, you know, we've, we've seen this kind of with uh, earlier thoughts of Ferrari to go into American market. Uh, yeah. And several attempts uh, to enter American races, including Indianapolis 500. Uh, for when we discussed Alberto Ascari, we discussed that. And of course, that all, all of this happened with support of uh, Luigi Cinetti. Yeah. Um, he was basically, yeah, the, the, the kind of the, 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 American, <laughs> the American friend. <laughs> yeah. The friend in the States who was kind of, yeah, promoting, uh, pr pr promoting Ferrari uh, brand. And in fact, like I said, in, in many resources, he still uh, sort of, um, he still stayed as a distributor of Ferrari cars in the first instance, rather than a driver for some reason. And uh, that has, uh, I guess, uh, has, has uh, its own reason, right? So, because he was, uh, yeah, he was really good at, uh, um, yeah, he was really good at, at, at um, developing business strategy and sales uh, yeah. strategy, so yeah. Yes, and uh, despite um, all the similarities between him and uh, Enzo, there was uh, one uh, difference. Uh, Enzo uh, never, practically never traveled, uh, he never used an airplane, and um, Luigi uh, he was traveling frequently uh, to Europe, for example. He was traveling to uh, Latin America, so he was uh, quite uh, well uh, traveled. So this, this uh, in a completely different uh, difference to Enzo. Mm -hmm. So he could give him uh, the input uh, from other cultures, other markets, which uh, Enzo was lacking, at least from a personal contact. 
So uh, what we already discussed, uh, he won three times uh, Le Mans, 24 hours. First time 1932 in the team from uh, Raymond Samoa. They drove uh, the Alfa Romeo 8C 2300mm, which you can see uh, here on the photo. Mm -hmm. Two years later, uh, he uh, drove together with Etan Selim. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, they drove a similar car, the 8C 2300. So uh, practically, uh, he uh, 24 hours uh, uh, he joined the team where the car was uh, bought by a rich uh, gentleman driver who had the money, uh, but not uh, the same talent um, as Cinetti. So he was uh, included, let's say, as the professional fast uh, driver. Mm -hmm. And then in 1949, we had uh, already exactly. sort of, uh, so that's, that was the third time and uh, there he, uh, he drove a Ferrari car, obviously. Exactly. Because, then uh, Alfa Romeo uh, already sort of did not participate much in racing. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, but uh, yeah, we have not uh, to forget that at that time um, Enzo Ferrari was practically the uh, team manager for the racing team at Alfa Romeo. So. Yeah, he yeah. practically stayed with Enzo all the time, so uh, changed I from mean, Alpha as a, as a brand, yeah, as a brand. Yes, as a brand, mean, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> Here we go, the, yeah, the white so, blue. And finally, we are coming back to our uh, main topic, uh, Formula One. Here we see the really beautiful 158 in the North American uh, design, the blue the white with the blue stripes, which uh, traditionally uh, not has been using in the endurance races, as for example, in this example from 1967, mm -hmm. from the 24 hours Le Mans a Ferrari 412p. So you see here white, the blue stripe, and uh, quite interesting also the light blue wheels, which mm -hmm. really fits perfectly to the classic not design which represents the US colors. But coming back to um, 1964 and uh, Formula One, uh, as we mentioned, uh, not it wasn't really a big team, it was a workshop with six to seven or maybe less, uh, four to five engineers really working uh, for the team full time. So, not a group which could uh, participate in uh, Formula One. But how they ended up there in end of 1964, uh, Enzo Ferrari, uh, who at that time uh, focused uh, on Formula One, but also on the uh, sports cars and for the races like Le Mans, Spa, 24 Hours, Sebring, whatever. Uh, they wanted to homologate uh, the the 250 Limon uh, mid-engine car, but uh, the international organization FIA declined it, the homologation, and uh, and uh, with this, Enzo had been in contact with the Italian author racing authority, but they declined uh, to discuss the topic with the FIA, and as in several other um, occasions. Uh, uh, he wasn't um, happy with the support by by Italy, Italian racing authorization, Italian government, and also sometimes uh, Italian citizens, uh, like including the church, as they are against, uh, as he perceived them uh, being against him, especially after the uh, big accident at the Mille Miglia. So often he felt uh, misunderstood uh, by Italy. And uh, the same in this um, occasion. So he was really uh, quite angry. And due to this, he wanted to send um, a signal and uh, start the last uh, two races in the US and uh, Mexico, not with the Italian colors. So uh, that way, I assume he contacted uh, Luigi and uh, on the paper, these cars not started as Scuderia Ferrari, but as the North uh, American racing team in the last uh, races. I assume it was more 
uh, on the paper to send uh, a signal also visible in the newspapers on in TV, uh, having Ferrari starting in white and blue, telling the world uh, we don't uh, have to participate as an Italian team, we can participate as a US team. And uh, at the end, uh, this uh, worked out. Uh, he got the homologation of his uh, endurance car. So 1964 was the last time we saw the Scuderia Ferrari cars painted in white and blue and starting as a North American racing team. They, not, they started two times more in 65 and 69, only at the last uh, races. Uh, this for marketing reasons or also to support, uh, to get more point for the manufacturer, for the manufacturing standings, but not never uh, had been intended to really uh, participate in a real uh, long season. And uh, understandable because the team from budget, from, um, from uh, headcount don't had the, the uh, capacity to start in Formula One. And uh, even if we saw the cars in 1964 in their own colors, I am pretty sure that all the manpower, the engineers, of course, it has been also the drivers that came from Ferrari. So it was more a marketing or communication uh, strategy to start here in the not colors. Mm -hmm. So this was 1964 and uh, also it was uh, quite successful because in the last uh, race, um, John Sotis starting in uh, the white and blue uh, won the championship quite surprisingly because uh, Ferrari had a weak start into the 64 season and uh, only three, ra three races before the end uh, got into lead in the manufacturing championship in John Sotis only took the lead in the championship really in the very last uh, uh, race and with a little bit uh, luck due to technical problems uh, from Jim Clark and the Lotus. Yeah, yeah. so uh, I mean, in, in this whole story, I really like how kind of Enzo Ferrari made a point, you know, <laughs> if, if you don't want the Italian teams, we can make it an American team, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. We discussed it already as we spoke about the 64 season. So, uh, from mm -hmm. and I think this uh, speaks about Enzo's uh, emotional intelligence. On the one hand, of course, uh, he was angry, and uh, it was also an uh, emotional point from him uh, to set uh, for the world and for Italy. But also, of course, it was a very good strategical move because with this, he put uh, the Italian racing authority under pressure to really support him uh, in the topics with the fear uh, and, and uh, this worked out uh, for him. So it wasn't just that he got angry and it was like an emotional decision, but also from a strategical point, uh, a good uh, thing to do. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what we already discussed. Uh, mm -hmm. Later, uh, 65, uh, we had uh, Nard already again participating uh, with uh, two cars in the US and uh, Mexican uh, Grand Prix. We had uh, here the US driver Bob uh, Bondurant and uh, Mexican Pedro Rodriguez. Uh, mm -hmm. Rodriguez and uh, Bondurant, they both mostly participated for Nard, not in the sprint races like Formula One, but really in the endurance races as Sebring, as uh, uh, Le Mans. Uh, Pedro but Rodriguez. Already, but already in red colors. <laughs> yeah, Back in Formula red. One, in uh, red colors, you see here the red uh, 65 Ferrari with the white stripe. Uh, but let's say in the endurance races, um, Nard continued uh, starting in uh, white most of the times. And uh, for example, this uh, car I showed you was also driven by Pedro Rodriguez at that time. Mm -hmm. And then a last time, four years later, uh, in 69, they participated again only at the, uh, at the races on the North American continent in Canada, US and Mexico to support 
Ferrari from a marketing point of view. Yeah, I like how they kept the blue wheels. <laughs> yeah. This is just but uh, uh, in the whole year, this was not only for the NAD, but the whole Ferrari team. They really Ferrari started team, yeah, with that's right. those, which really looked very cool. And then uh, NAD continued uh, in the different um, endurance uh, series until 1983. Uh, for example, uh, using this uh, 250 Le Mans, again, sometimes completely in white, sometimes they used uh, red, just having the, uh, their logo, which is a little bit uh, different than the Ferrari logo. Mm -hmm. It has uh, American flag. Yeah, and, and not and only this. So you, so you see here the logos, the, on the left and the middle, the two uh, original Ferrari logos. The left is uh, the S uh, and F, the Scuderia Ferrari. So this is the logo for the race cars, for the race division. The other one in the middle, uh, this is the logo for their uh, street cars. So this are the, is the logo which you see on a normal car, which you see on the streets. And uh, so interesting, uh, not, uh, not uh, uh, first of all, interesting is that they got the, the okay from Enzo to use uh, the logo because normally uh, companies are quite defensive uh, with the usage of the logo. They don't like others uh, to use their logo for mm -hmm. obvious uh, reason. And even less, they like others to do changes on the logo. So it uh, shows that uh, Luigi really had a very good relation to Enzo personally, so that he got the permission to use the original logo, uh, including uh, able to do changes on the logo. Uh, this also, uh, considering what is the history of the logo, as it came from an, uh, as it was uh, given by uh, the mother of an Italian uh, uh, World War I uh, hero, a pilot who died uh, in the war, uh, given to Enzo as a, a talisman, as a sign for good uh, luck. So mm -hmm. something very uh, important for, for Ferrari and uh, the company itself. And uh, the second interesting part is that uh, North, uh, North American Racing, uh, it's a race team, but they're not using uh, the, uh, the race logo, the Scuderia Ferrari, but uh, practically the, uh, the logo of the car manufacturer. This makes sense for uh, Luigi because as uh, you mentioned in the beginning, most of all he was uh, well known as the Italian, as the exclusive uh, importer of Ferrari in the US. So it was also from a marketing point of view quite uh, smart to use uh, the logo from the middle and not the one from the left. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah, helped uh, the sales and, uh, you know, did not overload the, the, the customer with too many different uh, brands as well and uh, IDs in the sense of the brand, right? Yeah. Exactly. And of course, patriotically, as he uh, gained uh, the US citizenship, uh, he put the US flag where an original is the Italian flag. Mm -hmm. Which probably also helped the sales in the US because, you know. Of course. Uh, of course. Uh, of course uh, I think this was American well, people tend to be very patriotic. So, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you. Uh, if you are traveling to the US, you see the flags everywhere in the neighborhoods, in the, in the shops, restaurants. So yes, I think this was very well perceived by the people. Uh, even if I understand, I would assume he was also proud because uh, I mean, uh, he really had to immigrate uh, to the US also, I think for political reasons why he originally left uh, Italy, but also to build up uh, a future for him and his uh, family. With this, uh, let's speak a little bit. What is uh, Luigi's uh, inspiration for uh, today? Uh, as uh, discussed, uh, we see again the importance uh, of the circle of trust, especially in Latin uh, business uh, culture. 
And I put here a little bit the profiles uh, together, left uh, Luigi, on the right Enzo Ferrari, so we see they only have been uh, born three years uh, apart. They are from the same region, so they have the same uh, cultural uh, background. Even more, they both uh, have been grown up in a workshop, so really they had the same uh, childhood uh, memories, same culture, which uh, I think helped them uh, to bond uh, together. And then, of course, they worked together as uh, Luigi met uh, Enzo in the age of uh, 16. So uh, quite a long, uh, not only friendship, with later uh, turned uh, into business. So we may assume they had the same ideas, uh, the same uh, visions, uh, mm -hmm. which helped them to develop together the business opportunities, which and uh, with this, they are in, uh, in the circle of trust where you first have to have, uh, let's say, a kind of a private uh, relation, which is important in, in, in Latin countries like Italy, but also Latin America. That's why it's quite important before you sign contracts, you get to know each others. You have to understand that you have the same visions, ideas, attitudes. Often you do this uh, with meetings also outside uh, the office hours, outside the office, for example, having dinner together uh, and so on. And, um, and uh, this uh, really worked out, I think, for all their life as they not only have been born quite at this uh, similar times, but also uh, Luigi uh, died in 94 and uh, Enzo only six years uh, earlier in 88, so both had uh, quite uh, a long life. Yeah, I just also wanted to say that it was uh, such a smart move to have an exclusive uh, representative mm -hmm. in the States um, because, um, you know, in a way, this is, the, this is the choice that many companies have to make quite early on, you know, whether to franchise uh, their know-how or whether to have multiple uh, sales representatives. But I mean, this was a very smart move because uh, I think uh, it established the Ferrari brand as something really exclusive that is like really difficult to get, you know, so which is part of their business model and part of their uh, value proposition, right? So it's, it is a very, very exclusive car. And uh, the fact that you initially only had one guy who could he could sell it to you in the states <laughs> is uh, is part of that strategy, and it's uh, definitely a very well thought through in that in that regard. Yeah, yeah. well thought through strategy in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. For clearly a win-win situation because uh, how you got a Ferrari, uh, sorry, a Ferrari before that, uh, a lot of the rich people they traveled uh, to Italy and uh, visited. Uh, the Ferrari factory. So this is before this, how you received your Ferrari. If you're living in the States, you practically had to travel to Italy. Mm -hmm. And uh, Luigi had this vision and uh, un uh, fortunately he also had the contacts all to all these potential customers. So he really a uh, good move for both uh, of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, the next something uh, quite uh, interesting, even if uh, Luigi Cinetti is today maybe not such a known name anymore, he entered into uh, pop culture. Uh, maybe some of you uh, read the book, The Art of Racing in the Rain. It was also a movie, I think uh, two years ago, uh, up to that uh, there was also a uh, play uh, a musical, uh, I think uh, maybe an off-Broadway, uh, I'm not quite sure, but there also is a musical, so uh, quite a successful uh, book by Garth Stein. And uh, for the ones who not read the book, uh, nor saw uh, the movie, the idea is uh, we have uh, a US uh, race driver and uh, he he's luckily uh, getting married uh, and then unfortunately his wife is uh, dying quite early. They have a little son and uh, the story is told uh, by the dog. The dog is uh, called uh, Enzo and uh, he, ex he explained uh, 
that uh, this man, this uh, his owner, is really talented, but he really uh, and it's, so everything comes to him naturally related uh, business and uh, driving. And uh, the dog uh, compared uh, his owner with uh, Luigi Cinetti, and you find this on different parts um, of the book. And I have here a small uh, quote. A great man, Luigi Cinetti, clever and smart and resourceful. He died in 1994 at the age of 93 years. I often wonder who is now, uh, who is he now? Uh, who possesses his soul? Does a child know his own spiritual background, his own pedigree? I doubt it. But somewhere, a child surprises himself with his endurance, his quick mind, his dexterous hands. Somewhere, a child accomplishes with ease that which usually takes great effort. And this child who has been found to this past, uh, but was uh, heart still beats for the thrill of the race, this child's souls awakens and a new champion walks among us. So uh, he describes here Luis Cinetti, who also describes um, uh, the father um, and uh, the driver in this uh, story. And uh, so you may compare a little bit that the main character who is described uh, is is like Luigi Cinetti, while the dog, who is obviously named Enzo, also represents uh, Enzo, and also the way Enzo Ferrari appreciated uh, Luigi Cinetti. Quite uh, interesting uh, story. I mean, it sounds a little bit uh, like a comedy. I mean, we have again a speaking dog, but nevertheless, it's a more melancholic uh, movie and uh, book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I found this quite interesting uh, to, to find uh, Luigi Cinetti entering uh, pop culture, mm -hmm. even if he's not such a well-known character up to today. Yeah, I haven't seen the film, but uh, definitely the book is very good. So if you guys get your, get, get your hands on this book, I think it will be quite an interesting uh, read. For yeah, for me, it was, it's the other way around. I haven't mm -hmm. read the book, but saw the movie once in a plane. So, I, so unfortunately, none of us know both, so we cannot say what is better, the book or the movie. <laughs> yes. I would assume that the, the book is better. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to have a, yeah, I'm going to watch the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I also have the, uh, the idea to read the book because I would, I would assume uh, the book is better than the movie, even if the dog was spoken by Kevin Costner. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to find uh, out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have to find out. <laughs> okay. And... Yeah, I think, um, I mean, in terms of behavior, we discussed, uh, discussed it quite a lot. Um, I guess the, the, in terms of, you know, character, we said that it was a very introverted person and very private, yeah. which, made it, which made his business very successful. Um, yeah, in terms of notable wins, uh, that would be the the, the Limon, I guess, uh, victories. Yep. Um, and um, uh, yeah, so I don't think he was actually involved in any big accidents, right? To the best of my well, knowledge. Not that I remember. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we kind of talked a lot about racing strategy. So instead, I thought. Uh, <laughs> Gonna show you this Chinetti McLaren car, which um, I kind of uh, um, I, I saw when I was uh, for, for, so the first time I saw it when I was about nineteen, I think. <laughs> this car is yeah, you can easily imagine, like I said, you know, it's, it's like it's a car fit for Darth Vader or someone like that. Mm -hmm. Looks quite surreal, yeah. as you can see. And this is actually not uh, Luigi Cinetti's work, but his son's uh, collaboration with McLaren. And uh, this was a high performance car. And uh, mm. look at it, it's just uh, so uh, surreal and, uh, you know, st Star Wars yeah. <laughs> like. <laughs> very cool car. And uh, yeah, so, so the, the point of, of showing you this is also to say, you know, about st strategy, not so much about racing strategy, but about life strategy that he created a very successful business that um, continued uh, after, you know, after, after he sort of retired and uh, yeah, after he died. 
So and and uh, I mean, this was still when when uh, Lu uh, Luigi Cinetti was alive. Luigi Cinetti Senior was alive, but nevertheless, uh, you know, he basically built a very very successful uh, uh, car distributor business, and even they even produced their own designs in collaboration with with others, but nevertheless. Yeah, and uh, I mean, this was, uh, of course, a shocker. Uh, uh, they did also, um, in collaboration uh, with uh, Ferrari, they did an, um, an open version of the Ferrari 370 or 365 GTB, uh, the mm -hmm. famous uh, Nut Spider, which they also sold very few times. Very beautiful car. So they and sometimes not visible, but they sometimes they did some changes to the car. Uh, the end of the 1960s, in general, they produced some great uh, futuristic uh, designs. Uh, I, for example, I had the pleasure to see at the Alfa Romeo Museum, the Carabo, the green, which also looks very futuristic. Or we have the Ferrari 512 Modulo, which I had the pleasure to see here in Atlanta in the Museum for Modern Art. So there are a lot of, uh, of these uh, designs at the end of 1960s, beginning of 1970s, uh, practically from all kinds of manufacturers. Uh, in that time, I, I assume uh, the idea was to create uh, concepts related to the uh, Can-Am series, which was very famous uh, in the US and uh, Canada. And uh, Ferrari participated also in combination with NAT uh, as Ferrari had a focus at, on Formula One and on uh, um, sports car racing like in Le Mans. Uh, of course, they not had really the budget or the time uh, to really focus as much as they would have to be successful in the series. So they had the cars. I can show you here, for example, one of them. Mm -hmm. as they raced here in US and Canada, um, but not with any real success based on the lack of attention awareness. And maybe the, this was the idea of this um, prototype to show a little bit uh, Ferrari uh, what they would have to do to be successful in the Can-Am series, as I assume uh, it is based on the McLaren Can-Am from that time, this prototype. Yeah, but it also um, uh, it, it also was a strategy to kind of lure the luxury uh, the luxury customers, yeah, because in principle, I mean, uh, when with these experimental designs and show cars, I think the main idea to say that uh, you know you can make a uh, whatever monstrosity or whatever you know uh, uh, beauty. Uh, yeah. Uh, which is going to be quite unusual and you can call it a car and you can buy it you know for uh, a considerable amount of money you can own and uh, you can own it and you can drive it and it will work and it will work well so uh, so that was uh, sort of again um, the business model of uh, um, this particular dist distribution um, car distribution business that that effectively just said, well, you know, we can produce anything, <laughs> yeah. anything for your money. It will be high quality, and effectively, you will have something that no one else has, which I think uh, should have attracted, uh, um, you know, this exclusive uh, clients. So it, probably that segment was very well uh, engaged by uh, by Chinetti. Um, Correct. And uh, of, of course, uh, a great idea to get attention. So people see that car, walk in uh, uh, the shop and then buy, let's say, a conventional uh, Ferrari. Yes, absolutely. Uh, just uh, also a great car to lure people in. Uh, yes. when, I, when I worked for Warwick Manufacturing Group, uh, Warwick Manufacturing Group produced, and this is something we can make a separate episode about, so my fashion group produced a really cool car uh, out of um, vegetables, effectively. So they, um, so there is one of part of the work manufacturing group is uh, 
uh, department that works with, with experimental materials. And so they produced kind of uh, like uh, the car body out of carrot, you know, like uh, some tires of corn and all that kind of stuff. And it, it actually looked really cool and it worked. Um, yeah. So, um, so and this is something that students worked on as a part of Formula Student Project. Um, and, you know, that was the kind of the sustainability car that was kind of showed, shown at many, many different uh, occasions. So there is even a TED talk uh, by someone from my um, uh, Fashion Group where they show off this car. And uh, yeah, I mean, this um, uh, type of green design, you know, very much in vogue at the moment. And you can always uh, attract a lot of attention to whatever you're doing. In this case, you know, uh, where my fashion group is in the uh, education business. But, you know, if you produce something like that, that really attracts attention uh, of engineering students. And, you know, they can say, oh, you know what? Yeah. Why not? If I, if you know, if this can, these guys can produce uh, that sort of thing, then you know, I want to be a part of that school. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So it's all but, it all all works well for the business model. Yeah, it would be interesting to know what happened with this car. I mean, I if it's still existing or or, or not. I mean, I not found anything much more about it on the internet. Machinetti uh, McLaren. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we will find out. <laughs> I don't know, to be honest. Uh, so we we'll need to yeah. find out for the kind of for the subsequent. Yeah, maybe episode. you can use your connections to McLaren. Um, I know that McLaren has a, a kind of a museum right in uh, Silverstone and walking. Um, there is in walking in walking in particular in walking factory. There is like a showroom where they might have that, but I don't know. I'm not sure. I think it might have been. Uh, made specifically for the U.S. market. I'm not sure it was sold in Europe, so it might be that some American museum has it. Yeah, rather, or rather sometimes than... uh, even such uh, show cars get scrapped, for example, for another show car. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if there is an, uh, an uh, one of the uh, there is one of these cars in, in in the UK somewhere. I know it's definitely not in the Coventry Museum. Mm. At least I haven't seen it there, but it might be that uh, there is a, maybe there is a, a version of it in walking and perhaps, uh, you know, in some American museums, uh, we have uh, a couple of them left or, you know, I'm sure there is a, there is a, a, a copy somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Not a copy, I mean, the, the genuine thing, one of these things. It, it is, yeah, but, but attention. Uh, even in museums, they are in car museums. They are copies. Yeah, yeah. I none of the original cars uh, survived. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. So, yeah, we'll, I will find out. Uh, maybe we will find one in MoMA or something like this because lo it looks like you know. I think uh, you know if you uh, this could easily be uh, like Zonk's car from the Fifth yeah. Element or because yeah, right. <laughs> a Darth Vader car or you know very. Uh, I can imagine that Tim Burton would, would could make use of it for some villains in 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 one of his imaginary work, but um, works. So yeah, I mean, uh, I'm I'm sure that, that there are some traces of this. Car. Yeah, I, I remember some of these uh, cars from that time ended up in movies. Uh, we had this very futuristic Lancia Stratos Zero in Michael Jackson's movie Moonraker. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we had uh, one of the Lola cars uh, in uh, George Lucas um, debut movie THX or mm -hmm. 1147 or I'm, I'm not sure about the number but mm -hmm. some of these uh, show cars or yeah there are uh, yeah movies. Yeah, there are many of them in the Coventry uh, in, in in the Coventry Car Museum. I've seen quite a few, mm -hmm. but I mean, the, yeah, I, I I will find out the whereabouts of this particular one if I can get uh, if it exists. I will find where it yeah. is. <laughs> okay, let's um, go uh, to legacy. the legacy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, as we saw, um, uh, not. Uh, existed practically until 1983. And uh, uh, so it wasn't uh, that sustainable that uh, the team itself uh, carried on, uh, even if Luigi Cinetti Jr. 
uh, he stayed uh, in the car uh, business. Uh, he has been, uh, as his father, he's uh, strongly uh, still in contact with uh, Ferrari, the company. So they support uh, them also, let's say, in the restoration of some of these classic uh, cars. Um, so uh, the legacy, uh, maybe not directly the team, but I think uh, the name is uh, quite a legacy. Uh, and um, I think most uh, US uh, teams which are entering um, in Formula One somehow uh, are related uh, compared uh, to North American uh, racing. Uh, including uh, um, Haas as mm -hmm. I think the latest uh, US uh, teams. Team. Mm -hmm. um, honestly, there's no direct uh, relation. Uh, obvious uh, similarity are the colors, which is not, not surprising because uh, Nat used the white and blue as the official US colors and also Haas is quite uh, white, I assume. Uh, based uh, that the U.S. team take, uh, taking the color for directly from the U.S. Uh, flag. Um, what is a little bit um, uh, similar uh, is the strategy. Um, uh, not, I mean, they used one-to-one -one, uh, Ferrari cars and also uh, the Haas team. And this is something which they also got criticized for. Often they not only use the Ferrari engine, uh, obviously, but a lot of other uh, parts that directly buy from Ferrari, such as trans uh, transmission, suspension, and uh, shock uh, absorbers. So uh, the car, it's not, it's not that they buy the car directly from uh, Ferrari, but uh, they buy many parts. So they're quite uh, dependent uh, from the Scuderia Ferrari. And I just uh, read this morning and um, uh, article uh, saying that the Haas uh, Formula One is much more uh, dependent on the uh, on the Ferrari, the original Ferrari, than, for example, uh, the uh, Alfa Romeo Ferrari, which which are much more independent from uh, the Scuderia Ferrari, which I found quite interesting. As mm -hmm. Alfa, they are of course also um, Italian brand. Uh, they're based in Switzerland, so geographically and from uh, the business setup um, more near than Ferrari than a team like in the US. So, mm -hmm. so the strategy uh, of uh, buying instead of uh, doing itself is quite similar uh, than uh, not. So yeah, I mean, uh, but that's but that's quite a quite an interesting uh, topic uh, in, in general, right? The vertical yeah. and horizontal supply chains in uh, Formula One. And some uh, some companies like Ferrari, there are very few companies like that, like Ferrari, who produce everything in-house. So they have a really vertical uh, supply chain system where effectively everything produced by Ferrari. Um, uh, whereas other teams, of course, uh, they normally do stuff in collaboration, like McLaren, for example, normally has a collaboration of some sort. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, we also have uh, Williams team, which effectively yeah. just takes uh, everything that is available on the market, right. every innovation and kind of puts it into their own car. So, um, yeah, in general, of course, um, if you are capable of producing everything yourself, that may makes you much more efficient because, you know, it's it's yours, you own it, you you can change it if you want to. Um, and, you know, whenever you have collaboration, that obviously adds time to decision making and also adds uh, complexity, which is not always um, the best uh, idea. Uh, and, um, yeah, I guess it's just uh, also a matter of reliability and resilience, right? And, uh, uh, yeah, but um, I guess uh, in the house case, uh, they just decided if, if buy, then I get buy from the best and <laughs> yeah, having maybe one supplier is a little bit easier than, than to go the Williams uh, strategy where you would effectively just source everything from uh, kind of the recent innovation and from small startups sometimes, which is not very, 
um, yeah, it, it, the, the, the strategy is quite dangerous in a sense because yeah. you know next year this startup might not exist anymore, and uh, yeah. you have to go and find someone else. Yeah. yeah. So this make or, make or buy uh, from an US point, uh, maybe they see it a little bit more like uh, business. Uh, so I, I buy if I have a good uh, provider. Uh, and if it's something I cannot do uh, better, meaning a higher quality or better price uh, myself, so from a uh, business point of view, um, makes much sense. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yep. Okay. And the other similarity uh, to uh, NART uh, had been the drivers, at least uh, for the debut season in 2016. Uh, NART, they... Uh, they uh, worked uh, with Pedro uh, Rodriguez as a driver for many uh, years. And also uh, not in the first year, they had a Mexican driver with Esteban Gutierrez, which again makes much sense as he also uh, supports from your marketing point of view for the uh, Mexican market. Uh, and of course, uh, they, they are near, so it's, you have uh, many talented Mexican drivers, which, mm -hmm fastly can be in the US. Yeah, I mean, when, when we go to later seasons of uh, Formula One, we will uh, start discussing these uh, strategic uh, appointments. Yeah. Uh, sometimes uh, sponsorships depend on them, and sometimes yes, you have uh, very surprising characters as drivers, I have to say, because of that. So there's definitely an element, this business element in the current yes. appointments. So where previously yes. pretty much Either you had like very talented person or you had a person um, who was uh, very, uh, um, you know, who owned basically the team, right? So who, who was uh, him, himself the owner. Um, these days, I guess, uh, sometimes uh, the number of followers on Instagram determines <laughs> whether you're going to get a seat or not compared to other drivers. So I'm, of course, making up exaggerating, but uh, you understand what I mean, I'm yeah. sure, because some, some, some sponsors, uh, you know, if you have, for example, I don't know, Russian sponsorships to the team, you have to have a Russian uh, driver. Yeah, and. You know, you end up with someone like Kvyat <laughs> driving uh, for your team. So, you know, um, and, um, you know, not, not to say something uh, specific about any particular driver, but uh, very often you will end up with uh, very strange combinations um, just because the sponsorships or, you know, yeah. the business idea. Changing a little bit... Uh like in comparison to five years ago, I think we had more paid drivers. I mean, I am sure uh, drivers as Grosjean and uh, Gutierrez, they brought money with them to drive. But I think mm -hmm. we not have so much as in earlier years with some driver seems to be only be there of the money. It's a little bit, it reminds me a little bit fashion industry. So I was watching uh, some interviews with Tom Ford and uh, uh, who is a famous designer and uh, he basically <laughs> was saying how like back in the day you know when I don't know uh, it was the beginning of Chanel or beginning of Christian Dior you would pick a model just uh, because they were pretty now you look at Instagram followers yes. you look at a lot of other factors that helps your business you know, perhaps uh, women who are actresses and uh, all that kind of stuff I mean on the one hand I kind of like that they choose people who have lives <laughs> for, for, for representing brands. But on the other hand, of course, uh, you know, it, the standards uh, are quite, uh, yeah, the, uh, we live in the world of uh, changing standards, right? It's really not clear what is, uh, like, what are the criteria of, <laughs> and sometimes the criteria uh, of, of, of selection criteria for the driving seat, for example, is not necessarily skill, it's more luck and uh, the right nationality. <laughs> so it's, it's a little bit, uh, yeah, it got a, li a lot more political and it's a little bit uh, unclear yep. to what extent, you know, that, that is a good character for a particular team. Yep. Okay, so that was legacy. Um, exactly. And yes, again, we're on all podcasts you can possibly imagine. <laughs> uh, 
And um, yeah, uh, we hope you're enjoying uh, this uh, series. And uh, today we talked about um, um, I, uh, yeah, well, obviously Luigi who was, uh, I just wanted to say a character that was uh, really a friend of Enzo Ferrari and uh, uh, you know, very successful businessman. Yeah, so yeah. So yeah, I've also, let's say, a, a look on some of the people which uh, maybe not always have been in the first line, but uh, on the second one and uh, had very interesting uh, backstories as we find but, uh, it in, in motorsports. Yeah, but also these people, uh, to, well, in, in, in case of Luigi Cinetti, he, he really supported the financial success of Ferrari, of Ferrari exactly. as a brand. Uh, yeah, so yes. in that sense, his uh, role was not that sec as, as secondary as uh, some people <laughs> some people may think. Um, yeah, right. And we also had uh, Luigi Cinetti Jr., as we mentioned before, who uh, who produced uh, that really weird and wonderful car with McLaren <laughs> that we showed you. Exactly, and uh, and he also, by the way, had been active in uh, motorsports as a driver. He also started, I think, in Le Mans, not mm -hmm. with uh, big success because uh, he was starting uh, with the Nard cars and unfortunately the team has been quite small with quite small budget so no uh, opportunity for for winning but let's say he was also active as a driver and not that bad mm -hmm. so i mean he was quite good uh, related to the circumstances yeah all right so on, on this note, uh, we leave you with uh, the character of, of Luigi Cinetti. Have a look at the book um, and the film uh, about yeah. driving in the rain. And uh, I definitely will watch a film. I didn't realize there was one. <laughs> so, uh, but in any case, uh, yeah, the, definitely. I can recommend the book uh, and um, absolutely try to find out more about Luigi Cinetti. And meanwhile, I have the task of trying trying to find out something about this, uh, the whereabouts of this Cinetti McLaren car. Yeah. So we'll see you next time. See you Thank next you time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.